Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tyler, dating back to the early 1900s, the state of Louisiana used to grow by approximately three-quarters of a square mile per year. You know, the state was getting bigger, and it was because of the deposition of sediment from the Mississippi. The mighty Mississippi. The mighty Mississippi, the great greatest river in the American continent. Uh, when the Corps of Engineers built the levees on the river in the 1930s, the wetlands in the Delta began to starve, and the state began losing an average of about 26 square miles of land every year. And that land loss continues today. The problem is that the levees along the Mississippi River prevent the river's ability to naturally replenish the wetlands with fresh water and sediment. And that's been compounded by saltwater intrusion that has entered the marsh system in greater concentrations, resulting in the loss, further loss of wetlands. Storm surge is a contributing factor. And I think we've all heard about it a lot, Tyler, on the American Shoreline Podcast uh, Network through our Delta Dispatcher show. Uh, the Louisiana-Mississippi uh, Delta is melting, and there's efforts to try to correct that, and we're going to talk about it today. You know, Peter, uh, certain shows I just think are so important. <laughs> and for, for our whole American Shoreline Podcast audience to tune into, and this is one of those shows because we are going to explore you know the coast the coast is a place of different perspectives it is indeed there and there are competing perspectives not mm -hmm. you know sometimes what's good for peter yeah. isn't good for paul yeah and uh, or, or maybe maybe it isn't the, the point is that this these are the negotiations that we have on the coast and yeah. today i think we're going to dive in to this discussion about how to manage the mississippi river delta which i think you very poetically summed it up but this is the this is the great american river man it i is. mean and this is the great american river delta we're talking about 100 percent, man what a great show it's going to be a really good show i'm looking forward to it and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna say we're going to be talking today specifically about the mid barataria diversion project sediment diversion project this is a u.s army corps of engineers plus coastal protection and restoration authority the leading coastal restoration agency for the state of Louisiana. They're working on the final authorizations for the Mid-Barataria Diversion Project. Uh, in short, what this project will do is punch a hole in the wall of the Lower Mississippi River uh, levee system and, and allow the river to flow into the Barataria Basin periodically during the year for about 60 days a year. They're going to let the water from the river flow into this old basin where it used to go years and years ago and start to rebuild the marshes. And uh, that project, which is considered the largest environmental restoration project in the history of the United States, is what they say. It's about a billion and a half to two billion dollars. It's a very complex project. It's been under development now for many years, uh, going back to. Some original ideas from John Lopez, uh, Corps of Engineers guy back in the early 2000s. Uh, the environmental impact statement is out. Shout right. out John Lopez. Yes. Uh, uh, the uh, environmental impact statement comment period closed. Uh, they're more moving toward the record of decision, it is called, which is the final authorization for the Mid-Barataria Diversion Project. There's a lot of support, and there are some folks who thinks it's, or think it's a bad idea. And uh, our guest today is one of the folks who has real doubts about the wisdom of the Mid-Barataria Diversion Project. His name is John, uh, his name is Zach Lee. He is an agriculture economist, and he is the exclusive dealer for Shellevator, which I'm looking forward to hearing more about, which is an oyster harvesting uh, technology. Uh, and John's been uh, vocal about what he thinks are the downsides of this project. We're going to be talking about that today, Tyler. That's right. Learning some new perspectives. Yeah. Um, and also just diving into that that beautiful delta. Yeah. Sinking our teeth into this uh, difficult problem. This is kind of 
big federal project like this, yeah. billions of dollars, reshaping the coastline, a, yeah. a river delta system, maybe the most complicated system in geology. Well, on this the is an ASP. Shoreline. This is an ASP. It's <laughs> a good show. Oh, this is our bread and butter. Well, I also want to give a shout out to all the listeners out there. Uh, this is this topic is not new on the network. Uh, delta dispatches. Uh, Jacques Hebert and uh, Simone Malaz uh, did a very extensive show on the Mid-Bear Terrier Diversion Project. It's a podcast from March 23rd, 2021. It's called Discussing the Mid-Bear Terrier Diversion, D-E-I-S, the Draft Environmental Impact Statement. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, to go back and listen to Jacques and Hebert's discussion uh, about this project. They really fill in the details and about what the public engagement process was leading to its development. So... Just for the record, uh, we want to shout out to Jacques and and Simone for their great work on covering this issue. Absolutely. It's a great show, but we've got a great show coming your way in just a minute. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Well, Zach, we appreciate you taking time out to join us on the American Shoreline podcast to talk about the Mid-Bear Terrier Diversion Project. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, Zach, as we typically do on our podcast shows, we always like to introduce our guests to the listeners so that they understand who they're who they're talking to. Can you share your your background? You're an agricultural economist. You've worked in international uh, development and aid around the world. It looks like, and uh, you're a dealer for the Shellevator. And I'm interested in in all of this. Tell us how you tell us how how long you've been in Louisiana. Tell us about yourself. <laughs> well. I began life uh, in Louisiana and uh, wanted to get involved with the oyster industry pretty early. And I'm from mid Louisiana, so I couldn't get down to the to the Gulf very, very much. But I did spend five years down on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, working with oysters and shrimp as a Sea Grant advisory agent ah. right out of college. Sea Grant Connection. I love that. Yeah. We're yes, big fans indeed. of Sea Grant. Great organization. I got, a, I got a, a, a BS degree in zoology, marine zoology, from Louisiana State University, and then a, a master's in ag economics. When I, I was looking at the, the bycatch from shrimp boats, what might be able to be done with that bycatch. Uh, I got a PhD from University of Florida, looking at the U.S. shrimp market. Hmm. But as I got out of of grad school, needed to uh, feed my little family, I didn't find a job in fisheries, and I got off on my other delightful track, and that was international work. And I've worked in, uh, of course, in Afghanistan for about five or six years. But I spent most of my time in Haiti uh, working with uh, chocolate trees, mango trees, and um, trying to improve the, uh, the, the forests there, uh, trying to come up with a way for people to make a good living out of growing trees. But I've always come back to Louisiana and occasionally when I've come back, I've met interesting people like Jules Melanson, who is the, the top, the most experienced, most successful oyster, alternative oyster producer in Louisiana. He raises tiny, tiny oysters. Uh, we call them seed oysters. Then he puts them out in cages and he winds up selling them to high-class restaurants in New Orleans. And I've been working with him uh, for a long time. He's he's put up with some of my uh, ideas. Like at one point I tried to, I wanted to see how quickly oysters would grow in a box. And so I put them in trays and put them in a box and put them by his nursery. And we pumped water through them. And not surprisingly, they grew terrifically as most oysters do in Louisiana. Well, anyway, uh, I've been trying for a long time because I'm quite upset, quite frustrated with the way 
our state is managing these fantastic resources, oyster resources that we have. It's probably the best oyster producing area, certainly in the United States. And to see that it is not being, as I would call it from a development point of view, it's not being developed. And in, in fact, it's being hurt by government action really has me upset. <laughs> so well, I think I've we're going to. I've been trying my best to uh, let people know what's going on. Well, Zach, we're going to get there and uh, appreciate you bringing that up because obviously uh, that is the that is going to be the middle, the, the, the patty of this burger that we're cooking up for you, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, what I want to circle back to is your childhood in Louisiana. And I would just love to get, you know, uh, what is your connection to uh, A, the Mississippi River? B, the Delta, and C, the Gulf. Do you feel really, uh, talk to me about your childhood and your connection. Were you a, a Huck Finn kind of guy? I mean, were you floating around out there uh, on the water, hunting, fishing? What were your connections yes. like? Yes, of course, yeah. One of my favorite things to do was put my little P-Row in the ditch in front of my house and see how far I could go toward the Mississippi River. Wow. Uh, I lived I live in a place called Zachary, and um, it's not far from the Mississippi River. And so I was always conscious of the river and conscious of the way water flows, too. Um, we're, we lived in a part of the state that had fairly large rivers flowing through it. And my father had told me, look how the rivers are changing. They are channelizing all the streams and the water runs off so quickly that we've lost all of our, our little scenic streams that we used to swim in. Sandy Creek, for example, is more, not much more than a ditch now. And the water runs away quickly and that causes problems for everybody downstream because all the water is going to wind up in the Mississippi River. And let me, let me just say that all the water from every um, levied piece of land all the way from, from the top of, of Louisiana all the way to the top of Minnesota, everybody has put up levees to build in what are used to be floodplains. And instead of that water sitting in the floodplain, it's being pushed into the river and it flows down here for us to take care of. So I also, um, one of the, my favorite vacation spots was Gulf Shores, Alabama. Beautiful white sand beaches and crystal clear water but also we, we spent time catching crabs and bayou pigeon where the water was, you would think it would be too fresh for a crab to live, but we used to catch them in there and going to Grand Isle to catch uh, speckled trout. So I've been involved a long, a long time uh, with the, as right as I got out of, of university, I, I went to Maryland and worked for University of Maryland Sea Grant. We worked with the waterman there. And I, but I quickly came back south, came to Mississippi, and we worked on oyster development projects there. That's and, well, as someone who has who grew up in Louisiana, uh, obviously you are aware and, and refer to the manipulation of this greatest of American rivers, uh, the levees along uh, the waterway all the way up uh, into Minnesota. It is a highly managed uh, system. Um, we've been imposing our will or attempting to impose our will as human beings on the Mississippi River for almost 100 years now, if not 100 years or more. 
Uh, the quote that I gave at the beginning about uh, the fact that Louisiana was growing in land in the early 1900s up till about 1930 is actually from a press release from Congressman Garrett Graves, a Republican congressman from southern Louisiana who is a proponent of the Mid-Baritaria Diversion. And he lays out that history as an explanation for why we have to undo the system of levees that control the Mississippi River and reintroduce this notion of a more berated distribution of water and sediment into the Delta, the very natural process that built the Delta. Uh, we are not talking about going back to the days of uh, a natural system. We are long, long past the days when the Mississippi River will be a naturally operating system. But the mid barataria diversion and other projects by the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority and the federal trustees over uh, involved in the federal agencies, the environmental groups that are behind this project, are making the argument that we can no longer channelize the Mississippi River and force the sediment off the Mississippi River Delta endpoint into the deeper water of the Gulf, that that sediment needs to be retained in the Delta system. It's what builds the land. It what builds the marshes. It's important to do. Um, my question, John, uh, or, or Zach, I, I know that you're publicly opposed to the project primarily because of the implications for oyster fishermen in the Barataria Basin. But what's wrong with the fundamental truth that they're laying out, that the channelization of the river and the dumping of sediment in the deep waters of the Gulf of Mexico was a mistake that needs to be corrected? Well, I think uh, one part of it is it's uh, inequitable. Why should Louisiana, at the bottom of the river, why should the, the oyster producers at Grand Isle pay the price for all the levying that we've done all the way up the Mississippi River into New York State, into Minnesota, into Canada? Why don't we open up some levees up north, north of New Orleans, north of Baton Rouge, north of Louisiana? Right. Those people are missing. You know, we have a great big delta in northern Louisiana. That's the real delta. That delta is being starved because it's no longer flooded every year. Hmm. Now, why should we? Why should we put up with that when uh, it's clear that we do need to use this sediment that's coming down the river? Although it's not as much as it used to be because of all the, the dams and the levees that are put up up north. That's a problem that I have. Why should we be asking the people of Southern Louisiana to pay for the development, economic development that's going on upriver? You know, uh, Zach, that's an excellent, an excellent point. I think that needs to be uh, addressed. And I just want to quickly as an aside point to some of the news stories that we've followed over the past several years with um, big flooding in the upper Midwest, which we actually covered on Coastal News today for this very reason, that all of that water that is was being rained down on the Great Plains <laughs> was going to find its way over the course of like months, it seemed down the Mississippi River and ultimately would be channelized into the main Mississippi Channel and ejected out of the uh, out of the ship channel is basically what it is, right? Into the Gulf of yeah. Mexico, yeah. Right. And uh, you know, that and, and that that is an unnaturalized process that we have engineered to get here. But it is true that that is the end of the line. I mean, New that is the Delta lands there. And uh, it's just a fact of life that the channel is a defensive mechanism to prevent the city of New Orleans and the surrounding farmlands down there from flooding. And uh, so we've kind of found ourselves in this position because of the fact that it is a Delta environment and we went with developing it in a way that would not 
it would not behave naturally. You know, we we made it flood proof. I think relatively in, in answer to your question, Zach, I, I think the reason why uh, the sediment diversions upriver are not the point of the project is because the purpose of the mid Barataria diversion is to restore marsh habitat lost in the Barataria basin. They want open water converted to marshlands again under the theory that those marshes are protective and healthier and ecologically valuable. So we want the sediment, or the project is designed to put the sediment into the Barataria Basin. And if the sediment is released upriver, it obviously doesn't do that. I mean, uh, Congressman Graves in his press release, uh, uh, and, you know, Congressman Graves is a conservative Republican uh, congressman from southern Louisiana. He's not a wild-eyed environmentalist. What they recognize is the loss of the Mississippi River Delta and the marsh system is absolutely uh, dangerous for the state ecologically, environmentally, and in its fisheries, and in so many other ways. And that the effort to cre- recreate marshes and to restore some of that natural balance is a high priority. Acknowledging, right. as they do, that it will dislocate and it will disrupt existing oyster beds and fishery areas. I think that's well recommended. It's well understood in the record. Well, here is my um, complaint about that. Um, Somehow we've been, most of the people of Louisiana have been convinced that this is going to suddenly, within 50 years, not not exactly suddenly, but over the next 50 years, it's going to somehow solve the problem of the disappearing coast. Not but no, actually, absolutely not. Yeah, well, won't do well, that, look, unfortunately. Look, let, me, let me tell you, I've, we just recently had an article in the, in the advocate newspaper and the writer was talking about the millions of people who will benefit from the mid-baritaria sediment diversion. Okay. Clearly, they don't have a good idea of what is being developed? What they what the C- CPRA says is, they expect over the next fifty years right. to create some thirteen thousand acres of marsh, of right. freshwater, brackish water marsh. Yeah, twenty-one to twenty-seven square miles. They say. Well, I suppose that's thirteen thousand acres. If you read the read uh, again very closely, it, it gets back down to around. 13,000. But look, yeah. You know how many acres we lost in the Barataria Basin yeah. since 1930? Yeah, about 250,000 and they think there's going to lose another 250,000 acres of wetlands in the Barataria Basin in the next 50 years. So the the impact Let me make my point. Yeah. We lost uh, according to the CPRA, we lost 276,000 okay. acres. Yeah. And the 13,000, of course, makes up what percentage of that? 5%? 5%. Yeah. And so we're trading five, a 5% uh, marsh, a 5% uh, amount of land rebuilt for what? For the opportunity to create, to continue to create a oyster industry that is the most productive in the United States and could be helping with our communities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, we're trading 13 square, 13,000 acres, which is 20 square miles. You know, it's about four miles by five miles area for the livelihoods of the people to the south of it. I hear you. All right. Now, and and it's I think it's a bad trade-off. I, mean, I, I hear I hear your point. Uh, the what you're saying, and the the estimates are that the uh, the diversion, which will be about sixty days a year, water will move out of the Mississippi River channel through a diversion structure. Uh, into the Barataria Basin at a clip of about 75,000 cubic feet per second. 
that's pretty big river flow. It's not going to be open all year round. Uh, yeah, they, let, they, let me stop you there. You know, that's the size of the Missouri River. It's a lot it of water. Flows. Yeah, it's a lot of water. It's the size of the Missouri River as it flows into the Mississippi. Okay. It's a lot of water. And, and uh, it because it carries a lot of sediment, that's what they're trying to, to do, uh, Zach, is what they're trying to do is move that water and sediment into this basin. They believe it'll create 27 square miles of wetlands that will equilibrate at around 20. And I don't think anybody, I, I don't, I'm not aware that the, that the notion of, is that this project is going to is going to offset the losses of marshland in the Mississippi River Delta. That's an extreme statement, and it's not true. That's not what the project is meant to do at all. What they are trying to do, and I think if you if you take it at its uh, on face value here, what they're doing is they understand that the Mississippi River is in a subsidence process. And that the not only is the the erosion and the storm surge problems detrimental to the marsh system, the saltwater intrusion is harmful, but that the lack of sediment into the system means that the the, the marshes will continue to melt away, and the and we can either hire dredging companies to pump sand and move it around and try to keep the marshes above water. Or we can let the river do what the river has always done in the Mississippi, which is move sediment around and create marshland. And I think it's a systems benefit we're talking about here. It's not simply a matter of trading the current oyster fishery in the Barataria Basin for, you know, five square miles of marsh. That's not what's happening. It's a system change. I mean, you do you believe, Zach, that that there will be no oysters in the Bear Terror Basin if this diversion occurs? Is that your point? Well, it will be very difficult to to raise oysters there. Um, oysters die when they're exposed to thirty days of fresh water. Right. They plan to have the water flowing in there at least sixty days a year. Yeah, oysters also die if they're in salt water too heavily as well the reproductive cycle of oysters is a bracket and you know this very well you're an oyster specialist you have a company that deals with them you know that the salinity range is is got to be right at certain times of the year but isn't the loss of the marsh and the continued intrusion of salt water and the conversion of the bay into a heavily salted bay a threat to the oyster industry in the bear terry basin to a certain extent, yes, but that's not the trade-off that we're asking here. They have money to rebuild uh, the barrier islands. They have money to, what I would be doing is is rebuilding the interior islands. Uh, I would not be flooding the, the, uh, the barrier basin with fresh water because the fresh water, as you know from all the levees that we have up north, it doesn't come down with the same amount of, of uh, sediment that it used to back when uh, the Romans were on Earth and we created so much of this land down here. That, it took thousands of years. You know, we just don't have a thousand years to wait for this to happen. It's definitely a process. But I've got to ask you, Zach, like when you look at other river systems, like broadly across the globe it seems like even in the netherlands they are rewilding rivers um in los angeles they're rewilding the los angeles river uh peter we talked about that dam renewal removal process up in washington what was that one called yeah the elwa dam the elwa Elwa river right the the restoration of that kind of natural river system yeah and i'm wondering zach if you Obviously, you know, there's this interest of the oysters, which I think is an important uh, consideration to be certain. But broadly speaking, are you in favor of of kind of the the idea of rewilding the Mississippi River in some way, shape or form? Um, I, I don't I'm not really uh, comfortable with that, because when you say rewilding, I'm looking at Kansas I'm looking at Missouri. I'm looking at all those other 
uh, states up the river. You talk about rewilding the river. Uh, yeah, let, let, yeah, like let's just say let's just say that I was the most powerful being in the universe, and I could snap my fingers, and the entire Mississippi River would be equi- like up and down from Canada on down to we would go to some rewilding scheme. Everyone's in. Would you be in favor of that? Should I do it? Should I snap my fingers and make that the the new world? Definitely not. Okay. So you do you like the current? What would what would be your kind of management philosophy of the Mississippi River? Uh, well, definitely, I would. Uh, if I were the, the the person that you were talking about there, I would go up river and and divert river water way up river. Oh, it would be great if we could divert it to the southwest of Kansas, uh, someplace that really needs the water. I would divert it further up rather than diverting it right here at the the bottom doorstep of of the river, the river mouth. Why divert it all right here? Hmm. Why not divert it up further up? That's what I would do. Okay. The problem, we, we really have a problem with all the extra water that's coming down the river now and that will be coming with uh, climate change. You've noticed that we have a, a bar, uh, we have a Bonnet Carré uh, spillway yes. just north of New Orleans that has opened uh, more often recently than it's had before because there's so much extra water. Yes, Well, that true. water, that water floods... Um, Pontchartrain Lake, it floods the eastern part of Louisiana. It throws mud on the beaches of Mississippi. That is water that if we could get that moved out of the river before it got to Louisiana, we would be doing the people up north a favor by giving Mm -hmm. them this extra water. And we would be protecting ourselves from these imminent floods that are going to come. Not, not, I mean, let's concede that if there was less water coming into the Mississippi River at New Orleans, then there is currently the flood risk could be reduced. But again, the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority's purpose, along with, uh, along with the trustees implementation group, the federal and state agency coalition that's behind the Mid-Barataria Diversion Project, what they're trying to do is use the river and the sediment in it, even acknowledging that the level of sediment load carrying capacity of the river is not what it was in Roman days. It still matters. Uh, what they're trying to do is restore these marshes and to have this land loss dealt with. What's wrong with that? Again, I'm not talking about the flooding issue. I'm talking about... We are the state of Louisiana is losing massive amounts of marshland in the Delta and has been for decades. Why can't why isn't it the appropriate thing to do to make that the top priority? Okay. Um, first off, um, the, the CPRA is doing excellent work in many areas across the coast, they are rebuilding marshland. They are building land. They are. They're building river ridges. They're doing excellent work. Yes. They're just not doing it with the entire Mississippi River. <laughs> I'm sorry, not the entire Mississippi River, you know, yeah. a Missouri-sized river flowing through your backyard. They're not doing it that way. They, they know not. how to do this. You're right. And they're doing a good job. The problem, the problem is that, um, there are people now that are beginning to say the data are beginning to show us that land loss is slowing. You know, I don't know. The trend lines are not going to be decided in uh, in a very short in in, in a matter of uh, you know we need time. Fact, I, I, are fact. you telling me that that I think there's a consensus that the Mississippi River is uh, Delta is subsiding. I think there is a consensus that the amount of open water in the Delta is increasing. I think that's pretty provable from the satellite record and the analysis that's been done. Maybe it's slowing. I don't know. But the land loss issue is real, isn't it? That isn't that a legitimate concern 
for the state and uh, for the environmental groups that are backing this diversion project? Yeah, yes, definitely. Land loss is a problem. Okay. Uh, there are alternative ways of attacking the problem. Okay, tell us oh, about that. For example, for example. Okay. You know the um, the oil and gas industry cut some ten thousand miles of channels yes. across the marsh. Correct. And we, I think, it's well uh, acknowledged that that has played a major part in what you would call the loss of land in Louisiana. I agree. I agree with you that 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 is a factor. That's my personal opinion from from what I have read. Now, I know the lawsuits that the state has filed against the oil and gas industry seeking compensation for the land losses associated with energy uh, drilling channels has failed, uh, that they have not been able to prove that in court. Is that your understanding? I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it is a factor. Uh, but no, I, I think, think legally I think they the, haven't been able to get the, the oil and gas the court, industry on the hook for that. The court is still out on that. That uh, case has just recently come back. Uh, okay. And, but here's the point that I'm trying to make. Okay. Um, we could use, according to scientists at Louisiana State University, we could use about $350 million and what you like, what you like to say, restore those canals such that the water flow across the, the, um, the marsh, across the coast, was more like it used to be, and there would be less uh, isolated uh, places where the, the water is impounded, and it's it's the cause, one of the causes of the loss of, of land in Louisiana has been this. And this is one way to combat it is to go back and put the canals back more like what they used to be. I see. As an alternative to the river diversion projects for the Mid-Baratari or for Mid-Breton or the other, other diversion projects. Let me ask you this. Why do you think the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana, the National Audubon Society, the Environmental Defense Fund, uh, the National Wildlife Foundation, the Pontchartrain Conservancy, uh, Congressman Garrett, the Republican Congressman from Southern Louisiana, uh, the CPRA, the governor, John Bell Edwards, uh, are in favor of this diversion there are people who are opposed and you're one of the outspoken people who's been been ringing the bell and saying this is a disaster this should not happen and when i look at the record on this and i look at the scoping documents from the eis and i look through the analysis that's been done and the diversity of interests that have come together behind it i'm really having a hard time understanding what you think they all got wrong because they're not these are these are communities of people that don't naturally affiliate uh, Garrett <laughs> Graves is is not a guy who hangs out a whole bunch with the Audubon Society and the EDF people I mean uh, we're starting to see something important here in terms of this step forward for the state and I'm curious I mean why do you think all these people are wrong you know I think they all have their own uh, personal um, agendas that uh, may not uh, coincide with the renewable, sustainable wildlife-based industries in the southern part of the state. Um, I, can't, I can't understand why the um, Auburn, I, I'm not going to name any names, why any of these environmental NGOs would be opposed to developing an oyster industry. The oysters are our canaries in the mine shaft. As long as there are oysters and oysters that are edible, as long as we have an industry of oysters, we have proof that our water 
is healthy and it has all of the other animals that are around the oysters. Because as you know, the oyster is a keystone species in the coastal area. So I, I don't understand. I can't really understand. I think they just have, have to be uh, that they don't quite understand the scale of what we're talking about. Um, someone uh, the other day said, why are we concerned about the uh, livelihoods of several thousand uh, seafood uh, producers and people associated with the seafood industry when there are millions of people that will, that will benefit from the Barataria Basin uh, diversion? You know, it's a sense of scale. I read something by uh, an Ottoman author the other day too, and he was making the same kind of mistake as if there were, the, as if the what we're giving up is minor compared to what we're getting. But take a look yeah. at it. We're getting we're getting twenty square miles of marsh. You know, it's, it's yeah. not worth it. Yeah, but you know, I I have to say, Zach, that. And I, I do appreciate you, you, this perspective because, I mean, you are coming at it squarely from the perspective of the oyster, uh, the oyster growers, the oyster fishermen and that fishery, which is extremely important. And I think all of us who have ever been to New Orleans and enjoyed the fantastic uh, Cajun cooking and food culture down there know just how excellent uh, oysters from the Mississippi Delta can be. So I, I appreciate you having the back of that community. But I do have to say that, like, broadly speaking, you know, if as a seafood consumer myself, the kind of seafood that I'm attracted to is seafood that's coming from a healthy environmental system. Exactly. And... and well, t absolutely, and particularly with oysters. And so uh, to me, when I hear about the the, I, the notion of the diversion, well, it is true that maybe only tw 20 square miles would be created in this initial project. Don't you find initial, it? It's a 50-year project, Peter. Well, well, this is Tyler, but don't you think that this is a, a, a kind of a pioneering idea to restore some of the, the function of that old delta system as peter said braided water spread out over that big area is that not a a desirable like management outcome to to strive to i mean i realize that you, what you're articulating is that there's a big oyster problem in this in the notion but the general idea of diverting and creating that braided system seems like a good one are you are you not on board with that not on board with um, diverting the water. Um, no, I, obviously I've said I'm not on board with the diversion because I, I know that what I think people in Louisiana are concerned with, they're concerned with storm protection and with being able to, to eat some oysters on a Friday night. That's what people are. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding you, but <laughs> I, I think both of those are high on the list. Yeah, having an oyster right. and a beer. Yeah, I'll put that what, on my list. What What we could be doing is combining storm protection with oyster industry expansion. We don't have to kill the oyster industry to get a few uh, square miles of storm protection. If you look at it that way. Yeah. You're looking at 20 square miles, all right? And it's going to be marsh. It's going to be mostly freshwater marsh. You know, as, as all most of your readers... Well, it'll be brackish. I mean, it's, again, because let's be fair it, to the facts here, though, because the, the look, diversion let, let me, is me, the, the diversion is not year-round, okay? Let, so, me finish, let me finish this. Go okay? ahead. Go ahead. That marsh is going to provide some sort of storm surge protection. You know what it is. Marsh provides one uh, two point seven miles of marsh can reduce a storm surge by one foot. 
And so if this marsh is lying exactly on the axis of a storm coming right. in and it's going on its five mile axis, yeah. axis, it's going to reduce the storm surge by what? Two feet? Yeah. Whereas if we put a levee there, the levee would be a barrier, a storm surge barrier, and it'd be as high as we wanted to. Look, the people of Louisiana don't build wetland to protect themselves from storm surge. Not much up till now, but they are now. We are seeing that now. Uh, no, you're not. Uh, the, uh, the people in Homa have just putting the finishing touches to a levee that is called from Morganza to the Gulf. It's, it's, I don't know what, having a hundred, it's, it's very long. The yep. people of, the people of uh, Jean Lafitte are just putting a circular levee around their city. If I'm yep. going to pay uh, the people over in, in Lake Charles, the, the industries over there that wanted to protect their ports from storm surge did they build wetlands no they built levees right i appreciate it and i think you're right that the it, we all know that the uh, construction of levees for uh for training the uh, river system in the mississippi and for protection of our is all along the gulf coast particularly in louisiana these engineered projects have had some beneficial effects for sure the more recent thinking in terms of coastal protection is about the investment in different methodologies instead of hard structures and levees, but to let these systems equilibrate in a more natural way. Uh, for the record, for the, the listeners out there, the Mississippi River flow rate is about 593,000 cubic feet per second, almost 600,000. Obviously, it fluctuates a great deal. The Missouri River uh, is about 86,000 cubic feet per second. This diversion is up to 75,000 cubic feet per second, so it's comparable in size to the Mississippi River. The diversion project, Missouri River, Missouri, and it's meant to it's meant to operate during the spring period, at least 60 days a year. I think is uh, Zach is correct in saying. Um, the, the, the notion that we're going to continue to use levees and that we are going to continue to pipe the Mississippi River all the way out to the Gulf and dump all of that sediment in the water off the edge of the continental shelf is what's being rejected now by the Corps of Engineers, by the state of Mississippi, and a lot of the best coastal engineers and thought leaders now. The idea of returning to a simple levee-based approach to storm protection is not in vogue. And I'll say it's not in vogue not simply as a style. It's because it doesn't work very well. There's a long history here. And I just, and I, look, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you are advocating for those oystermen and those oyster fisheries, which will be affected by this project. And it will not result in the end of oystering in the Baratera Basin, but as sure as hell is going to change where they are because of the salinity uh, gradients necessary for oyster production. The areas that are going to be inundated with fresh water and buried under marshes are not going to be oyster reefs in the future, but areas that uh, new oyster reefing areas will emerge, as has happened throughout the history of the Mississippi River Delta system. And, I know I want to know because here's my here's what I want to ask you. The point you have made about the impact of the diversion on the oyster and other uh, fishery communities is a real one. Uh, it is not uh, it is not wrong. There will be an impact to these communities. Uh, that does matter. But it is I think it's clear in the at least in the record so far that the thought leadership, the political leadership on both sides of the aisle and the engineering community and the environmental community recognize that while this project has that detrimental effect, it's in the best interest of the state long term. And they're prepared to put a bunch of money together to try to continue to advance, restore, and promote hundreds of millions of dollars in mitigation for oyster and other fishery impacts. I mean... Look, we're not we're not trying to build an oyster project here. What we're trying to do is rebuild the Mississippi River Delta Marsh system, and yeah. Well, but 
All you're doing is building 20 square miles. You're using the system to 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 work. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You're, uh, you're building 20 square miles and you want to get rid of the oyster industry and maybe okay. the, the shrimp industry. Do you really think it'll end industry? it? It's going to dis, it's going to it's going to change its location, but you're not seriously arguing that a diversion of 75,000 cubic feet per second of water for 60 days a year is going to end the oyster or shrimp industry in the state of Louisiana, are you? It will end the oyster industry in Barataria Basin as we know it. Will, yes. will, uh, yes, as we, it will be changed. And what yeah. do you think will happen in the future? Do you think there will be no shrimping and oystering going on in the Barataria Basin? Well, there may be. There may be some. But is, is that the point? The point I'm trying to make is what we're trading for that loss. I understand. I'm just trying to be more precise about what you're suggesting is being lost. Okay, and well, I, and the assertion that you're losing the shrimp industry or the oyster industry in the Barataria Basin is a false statement. You will not lose it all. It'll certainly be relocated. It will be impacted <laughs> and it will change. Because look, if, if what you are saying is correct, that the, any realignment of the Mississippi River when it naturally occurred throughout history, the Mississippi River Delta was one of the most productive oyster and shrimping fisheries in spite of the fact that the river moved all over the damn place. Right. And so the mere realignment of river channels in a delta system does not mean that the, the fisheries are going to be destroyed. It does mean that the location of them will absolutely shift around a lot. But the system is pretty resilient. It can handle shifts in freshwater. That's what, me, that's what estuaries are all about. Let me address that, please. Okay. Um, well, for number one, the shrimp and the oyster industry are populated by skilled people. They know what they're doing. They know how to operate. And if we have a break, kind of like a COVID break, in their ability to... Uh, make their livelihood from oysters, do you think they're just going to shift away somewhere? They're not. They're going to be lost. That's another loss that we will have. And there may be a thin edge along, the, along some area that you might be able to raise oysters, but you won't have the industry. And the, the fact that the... Uh, the CPRA is talking about spending millions of dollars to mitigate it is it's kind of like it's a red herring because once you know that you need to mitigate it, it will be too late. The oysters will be gone and the oyster communities, the industry will be gone. Look, there are three major uh, oyster um, seed lakes in the Barataria Basin. One, one of them is, uh, is called the Barataria. One's the Huckleberry. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the names of them right there. Three. The top two are no longer going to work because there's going to be too much fresh water. The bottom one may be too salty or it may be too fresh. We just don't really know because this is still just an experiment. It's just an idea about what we're going to try and what we're going to, to see will happen when we turn the river loose. It, it, again, I go back to, I go back to the, the idea that, um, yes, oyster people can move around uh, within a certain amount of, of area, but the water has to be uh, livable for oysters all year long. Maybe you give it a, a flood, uh, maybe 30, 30 days out of the year. But if you're going to have the river pouring through there 60 days, uh, 90 days out of the year, there's nothing that's going to be an oyster that's going to be living there. You know, and again, 
we're giving that up. This is the greatest resource perhaps in the world, this arts to production resource that we have, and we're giving it up for 20 square miles of freshwater marsh. That's absurd. You know, it's a tough one, Zach, because, you know, you, you I, 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 I do see that it is a, uh, a challenging pill to swallow the idea of the diversion, for, particularly from the oyster community. But what, what's interesting to me is that to me, you're really not giving, you're giving up the status quo. That is what you're giving up. And I'll acknowledge that the status quo is produces some fine oysters right now. But also, I have to acknowledge that the marsh system is broken and that the oysters are a part of the marsh system. They, the, the, you know what I mean? Like in the, it's like nesting dolls. The oysters are inside the marsh system. And sure. what's interesting to me is that you are, um, that the, the, Diversion is going to re is going to make more healthy the marsh system in the long run by depositing the sediment evenly in a natural manner. It will create new habitat, new oyster uh, nurseries, maybe not certainly not where they currently are in a new location, as Peter suggested. And to me, that just signals so much opportunity for the oyster industry of not only today, but tomorrow. I mean, I would just be so excited about the new oystering grounds that will be created by these projects. And it's, it's odd to me. I mean, is the, do you, do you, do you share any of that excitement, any excitement for the, the idea that it should this project go forward, that there would be, you know, a, a healthier system there in the Barataria basin to, to oyster maybe ultimately. No, um, I, you're, you know, I'm, the exclusive <laughs> dealer for the Shellevator, which is a, uh, it's a pontoon, a, submerged, a submersible pontoon barge with cages of oysters that is used for raising oysters. And I am very, very concerned about putting anything in the Barataria Basin. Uh, the best place to, for me right now, as I'm looking out, is probably to the west of Bayou Lafourche, over in Terrebonne Parish, where they don't have such big diversions coming on stream. But to, I mean, that's one of the problems of the industry right now is the industry is in partnership with the state. And the state's role is to maintain oyster seed beds and to maintain salinity that is appropriate for oysters to live and grow. Well, for the last, uh, I don't know how many years, 20 years or so, the industry has not really been able to depend on the state to keep its side of the bargain up. And so, mm -hmm. The state introduces tremendous amounts of risk. You don't know when perhaps they may open the river levee and let the water flood your oysters. And so you don't invest. You can invest in that kind of environment. Hmm. Take a look at what happened over at, at the Mardi Gras Pass on the west side of the river. In a normal situation, we have a social contract that says the levy is there to protect you and your farm and your family. Well, if the, if the Mardi Gras Pass crevasse had happened in northern Louisiana and started flooding the soybean fields up there, it would have been closed immediately and everyone, all the farmers, everyone that was affected would have been helped to recoup their livelihoods and their well-being down on the on the bank of the river here at Mardi Gras Pass there were certain environmental groups who rejoiced that that crevasse opened and gave them a, a laboratory for seeing what will happen when 
freshwater overflows, oyster reefs. It destroyed most of the oyster production in the Breton Sound, okay. the Lower Breton Sound. You Look, know, I think it, I think it's I think the biology of oysters is pretty well established that they require a brackish uh, environment to thrive. There is a reproductive salinity range that sensitive they sensitive little boogers, aren't they? They are, but they're also incredibly resilient. And they've uh, oyster reefs in the Mississippi Delta have been uh, uh, overwashed with freshwater for extended period of time since the delta formed. And somehow these critters find the right areas where the brackish uh, salinity range is right for them, and they grow there. And it does change. And what's different, and I think, Zach, what you're pointing out, is it's not often that we are in the driver's seat in controlling when those events occur. But obviously with the diversion project, uh, we are going to be more deliberately in command of what these diversions will do. I, I have to say, I understand, A, that that will result in the death of some oyster areas and the, re, and the movement of those, that there will be a loss of some culture because there's going to be a time lag here, that it, those impacts are really important. However, the social contract you talk about is not only between the CPRA and the state of Louisiana and the oystermen. The considerations that the state and the decision makers are, are working with here are much broader than the oyster industry alone. And that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It means that this isn't a violation or a betrayal of some kind of trust, as if the number one priority of the state of Louisiana and, oyster, and the CPRA is to produce as much oysters as we can. The point of this is to, is to really look at the historic loss and damage to the Mississippi River Delta and to try to do something about the engineered river that we have built over the last hundred years and the fact that we're shunting sediment off into the Gulf of Mexico to no value to anyone. And we have to we have to return to a more natural system. It's, none of this is natural, but we have to return to a system where that sediment is kept in the Delta system and it's it's not just unfortunate, it's damn true, and it's going to be damn sad for a lot of people whose livelihoods are affected here. Uh, and that's well, good. And trip. we can't, we, we, we but we got to do it feeling, anyway. My feeling is that um, I think that, you know, since we're kind of going around the room here at the yeah. tail end <laughs> of the show, but, you know, I have to say, Zach, in all due respect, I do, I'm a pro diversion guy. Um, as a, a citizen of the American shoreline, I think that restoring our delta systems all over the American shoreline and restoring the rivers inland, I agree with you on that, Zach, that it's not just a coastal issue. It's, it's the whole way. But that, but that indeed these uh, diversions in question are innovative projects and they're forward thinking in the sense that they're going to, as, as you suggest, Peter, somewhat mimic the natural system in a yeah. more authentic way. And I think that that is a positive evolution in our management technique. However, we, uh, Zach, you are a hundred percent correct. And Peter, you are a hundred percent correct that this will displace and harm, uh, traditional users like oystermen. And we need to have their backs too. I mean, they cannot be left out in the cold while okay, this project me, is taking break. place. Please let me break in. Um, yes, um, please do, Zach. Please do. You, you got the, you got the floor, Zach. <laughs> I wanted to say something about oysters. No, I'm, I'm just teasing. Um, there are alternative ways of doing this that mimic the old way, and one of the one of the ways is what are, what are called surge reservoirs. Um, there's a, a a system up around Old River to the north of, of Baton Rouge that I used to go fishing on all the time. And when the water in the river got high, it flooded into that reservoir, gigantic system. It was, and it flooded large numbers of acres of forest. The water backed up in there. And when it started going down, it dropped all the silt that it was carrying and the water became crystal clear. Huh. And the water flowed back out into the river. It didn't flow down to flood somebody's crop. 
So there are alternative ways of doing it. We don't have to give up our oyster industry for this small, what, what is really an experiment. We don't, really don't know what we're going to get out of this. There are other ways of doing it. There, there, you know, you can see uh, a good, another good example is ConocoPhillips. They are building uh, terraces out in the marsh. Uh, they're getting the money, they're building it on their land. And those terraces are storm surge uh, uh, dampening structures. Those things are fantastic. They're like offshore islands. And if you worked that properly, you could be raising oysters within those areas where they dug the, the soil out to make the, the terraces. Well put. And, and ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want to thank you, Zach, uh, for taking the time to, to express uh, your concerns with the Mid-Paritaria Diversion Project. Uh, the decision is not final. Uh, we are just finishing the, I've just finished the public comment period on the draft environmental impact statement, the comments and the uh, record of decision on that document, which will either approve or disapprove of the diversion alternative uh, is expected to come out, I believe, somewhat late this year or early in 2022. Uh, I'm sure that the discussion over can this be done a different way will uh, will continue continue until the very last moment and afterward uh, as well. And uh, Zach, I think uh, you're, you're you're serving a great role as an American citizen and being participating in a public process and bringing your concerns. Uh, especially for the community impacts of this thing to the fore. Um, I'll just say my, the, my last word is in, in looking at the record, it is clear that the concern for the oyster fishery and for the people involved in it is very much part of the record and has been discussed at length. Uh, it seems the, the, uh, the balance on the scale at this point is those considerations are not greater than the considerations of the of the proponents of this project at this point. So uh, thank you for taking time and thank you for sharing your views with uh, our listeners on the American Shoreline Podcast. And I'll give you the final word, Zach. Well, just thank you very much for allowing me to express my opinions because I think the problem is that um, most of the people have only heard one side of the story and they think that it's going to be fantastic when, when it's not. Thank you once again. Thank you very much, Zach. Have a great week, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. All right. Thank you.